Good to see everybody this evening. We are in um, our uh, annual vision series, and what we're doing in the vision series is we're specifically focusing on the cultural and the theological foundations of Saints Hill. Now, um, before I forget, uh, next week we're doing a panel discussion. We're going to have myself, uh, my wife, Jacob, his wife, our elders, their wives, and Bria up here on the stage, and we're going to do just like a Q&A around our culture, around our values. So if you have any questions while I'm talking or uh, just any questions at all around the church, go ahead and email those questions in. Next slide. Um, we have an um, uh, a, uh, email set up. Yes, there it is. We have an email set up where you can um, send in your questions, anything that you have about the church, and we'll do our best to try to get to some of those when we do the panel. Now, um, last week, if you weren't here, we talked a little bit about um, our story. Where did St. Hill come from? How did it come to be about? If you weren't here last week, go and listen to the podcast on iTunes or really anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find our podcast on there. And uh, specifically, the important part of last week is that we introduced these four spaces of what we call family discipleship. And, and here they are. The one, the few, the company, the many. If you didn't get a photo of it last week, get your phone out, snap a photo of it this week. If you're wondering how do we do discipleship here at Saints Hill, we do it in four different family spaces. One of the things that we say around here is that revival looks like family. So we found that discipleship happens in these four spaces. The one, taking personal responsibility for your relationship with God. Uh, the few, do you have a schedule that is full of people who can pour into you and who you can pour into as well? The company, are you a part of what's going on here at St. Hill beyond just this gathering? Do you come to the culture class? Are you serving on a team? Have you found your people here? And then the many, which is this, our gathering, where we all do the family reunion thing once a week. We get together and we celebrate what God has done. Um, we're going to be talking a lot more about this framework, but it's super important for us to all kind of understand, oh, that's what it means to be a part of St. Hill is to find myself in each of those four different spaces. Now, every year uh, during this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple weeks to pick one of our 10 core values and do a little bit of a deeper dive on that specific value. So this year, 2019, and this evening, it's this value. Value number four. We have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. Everybody say that with me. We have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. That's where we're going to be this evening. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, so happy that you're here. Um, the, the, the book of Exodus is just the second book in your Bible, so you open it up at the front, turn two books in, and you'll be in Exodus. And we're going to be in Exodus 33. This is um, from the story of uh, Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, there's just this incredible moment that's some, been something that has marked us and marked our church. Look down in your Bibles, verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you were pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. <laughs> I like that part. Verse 14. 
The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now, show me your glory. One of the um, things that has marked Newburgh and has it, that Newburgh is known for is being a Quaker town, being a town filled with Quakers. Now, um, for a religious denomination to mark an entire town, uh, the influence had to be incredibly significant. Quakerism began in northern England uh, in the 1800s, but quickly grew like wildfire to America's east coast and then eventually to the west coast, where Newburgh, of all places, became the hub of all Quaker activity. The Quakers were known for um, a bunch of different things, uh, primarily the abolition of slavery, it's a big one, nice, uh, promoting equal rights for women, and specifically going after peace. Um, they also promoted education and the humane treatment of prisoners and the mentally ill. They did a lot of great things. But they were more known for something else, in fact, the name Quaker was a slanderous term in order to make fun of the Quakers for shaking in the presence of God. Oh, those Quakers, yeah. The presence of God, right. They were a people who were so overcome by waiting on God's presence that they were named for it. Here's a photo, not a great one, from a book that I recently uh, read about Quakers in Newburgh. Like that? Yeah, ouch. Uh, I looked for these photos online, and it was like, nope, just you and your iPhone this time, Alex. So um, here's just a picture. This is over at the Friends Church, just the big brick building downtown, just chock full of people seeking the Lord together. I'm just going to read some of these uh, uh, little paragraphs about this. Several hundred friends from the 1894 yearly meeting gather outside of the Newburgh Friends Church for a photograph. Only a year earlier, the Oregon yearly meeting gained independence from the Iowa yearly meeting. Praise God. Most friends immigrated to Newburgh from Iowa and Indiana. They felt it was the promised land. Newburgh. That's, yes. Uh, by the end of the 19th century, some 800 Quakers had moved to Oregon. It just became this, this magnet, this hub. Uh, this photograph, the bottom one, shows the yearly meeting of Friends in 1894 from the, in the brand new Newburgh Friends Church. By that year, the Friends of or in Oregon had grown to seven monthly meetings with a total of 1,363 members, with the largest being in Newburgh. Newburgh became this hub for the West Coast Quaker movement. There were over 1,300 people here in Newburgh. And I was just talking with a pastor who's been pastoring here for uh, many, many years. We had lunch this past week, and he said that um, these 1,300 people, they were, they were like on the cutting edge of a church planting movement, planting various churches throughout the West Coast, planting new moves of God. It's just so inspiring to see what is the history of the place where we live. The, the point being is this. The town that we live in is not unfamiliar with a move of God beginning in it. It's happened before. And that move of God began with a people who were in awe of the privilege of having the presence of God with them. 
So my question to any of you this evening, whether you call this home or not, my question to you is why not here again? There's a spiritual mantle to be taken up in this town for revival. Why not our church? Why not now? The presence of God is uh, important to us at Saints Hill because where his presence goes, his kingdom goes as well. The two are inseparable. Wherever he goes, he brings heaven. Wherever he goes, he brings the kingdom. One of the things that we like to say around here is that in his presence, all of the right things grow and all of the wrong things die. All the right things grow in his presence, all of the wrong things die. And what we mean by that is that God cultivates and produces heaven wherever he goes. This is something that Moses understood. See, a couple chapters earlier here in the book of Exodus, God originally promised to send an angel with them into the promised land. He's like, I'm sick and tired of these Israelites. I'm just sending my angel. He's going to go before you. He'll make it all work. You'll get your promised land. Pretty good deal. The angel's going to go fight their battles, make sure that they're safe, and definitely get them into the promised land, which sounds like a pretty sweet place. Milk and honey flowing, all of that. But here's Moses' response. Look down in your Bibles again, verse 15. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, I would rather have your presence than the physical comfort of a nice place to live. I would rather, here's what it really is, I would rather have you than what you can do for me. (laughs) Have you ever been there? I would rather have you, Lord, than even what you could do for me. You can make all my dreams come true, but if you're not there, it's not a life worth living. And he says this, verse 16, look down. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me? and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Now, this is incredibly funny if you know Jews, because you're like, what else will distinguish you? Oh, I don't know. How about circumcision? It's a pretty distinguishing thing, right? What else will distinguish you? Oh, I don't know. How about Sabbath? Yeah, everybody else works around the clock. You guys just sit around on a Saturday. Pretty distinguishing. Uh, I don't know, how about that weird food law? While everybody else is eating pig, you're not. (laughs) Pretty distinguishing, right? No, it's not enough. It's not enough. Only your presence marking us is enough to distinguish us as your people. Now, if you know the story, the presence of God was symbolized by cloud and by fire, depending on the time of day. And so Israel, when when they saw the cloud moving, they would move. When they saw the cloud stopping, they would stop. When they saw the pillar of fire moving, they would move. When they saw it stop, they would stop. People down through history, Christians down through history, have gathered around various things. Uh, They've gathered around sacraments. They've uh, gathered around indulgences. They've gathered around preaching. They've gathered around uh, the, the worship moment. But at the beginning, the people of God gathered around his presence. And the same is true for us here at Saints Hill. We gather around his presence. The presence of God is supposed to distinguish every believer. The presence of God is intended to mark your life. But it's not just intended to mark your life by being with you. It's intended to mark your life by producing kingdom fruit through you. Recently, um, some of you guys know I work part-time at a brewery in Dundee. And uh, it's a really small operation. A few people come in just here and there. 
And this guy came in the other night, and uh, he asked me. I, I love it because people, normally everywhere I go, they're like, so, like, what do you do for work? But at the brewery, they're like, he works at a brewery. That's what he does, you know? And, um, but this guy comes in, and he says, um, he's like, so, like, what do you do during the day? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I just, I love the look on people's face. I'm like, yeah, I just started a church about a year ago here. They're like, um, what? <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that, that gif of, like, the blinking guy, like, um, <laughs> excuse me? Uh, so, <laughs> so he like, he's like, really? You, you, you could have started a church anywhere, in, and you started one in Newburgh? Why? <laughs> There's a lot of churches here. He's like, what makes your church unique? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is what makes our church unique or not, but I know that this is what's marked us. We live with an undying conviction that the Bible is not only true, it's livable. <sighs> you didn't quite get it. We live with an undying conviction that the Bible is not only true, it's livable. What you read, you can experience. Uh, recently, I was, uh, some of you guys might have even been there. I was at uh, a George Fox, like, Theo uh, class. It's like all the freshmen have to go to this class and um, they get just talked at by professors and pastors like me. And Anyway, I, I was on this panel, and they were asking questions, and I was talking about how, like, Jesus, what he does is he sets the bar for every human to meet with his, their life. There's this lie that, well, it was Jesus. No, <laughs> Jesus laid down the God card, so to speak, became a man, and he lived by the Spirit. Anyone who has the Spirit, the same expectation is on them to live like Jesus lived. And I had this guy come up to me afterwards, and he's like, okay, <laughs> live like Jesus lived? Really? How? <laughs> the ability to live like Jesus rests on sharing the same lifestyle of presence that Jesus lived with. It's difficult to live like Jesus without the presence of God. <laughs> Very difficult. It's not difficult to live like Jesus when the presence is your primary focus. See, we have the presence of God for a reason. It's not just to experience here in a worship setting or when we get together on a Sunday. Oftentimes what I've found is that um, the presence of God is, is moving in the worship moment. I, I don't know if you, how many of you guys noticed this, but they didn't plan on singing those first few songs. That was Jake getting up here and sensing, what is the presence doing? What does God want to do with this gathering? Let's go in that, play, in that direction. All of a sudden, there's life on it. Why? Because wherever he goes, he brings life. So what we're doing is we're constantly just going, okay, where are you moving? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you speaking? Because I just want to align with that. That's where the life is. So oftentimes I find that, okay, it's when, I, you know, it's, it, it, when things are chaotic and I'm at work and, and this person's you know, saying this thing about me or I'm caught up in the gossip over here or like I read that article online and it ticked me off or whatever. It's like, I don't know where his presence is. But it's in those moments where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm exalting him. I'm giving him praise or I'm taking a moment to just pause and to listen where I, okay, I, I think his presence is detected right here. But the reason for that moment of pausing and listening to his presence or in the, in the worship moment, sensing his presence, is so that we can catch the scent and go where he is going. He never intends just to leave us in that moment. We're, we're never given the presence of God without a reason for it. Maybe another way to put it is like this. The presence of God always comes with a mission. 
The presence of God always comes with a mission. You know that we're never called comforters in the New Testament. Did you guys know that? Followers of Jesus are never called comforters. We're called more than conquerors. And we're given a comforter. So it's time that we go out and we conquer. And when we need comfort, we go to him for the comfort. That's the dynamic. We've been given a mission because we've been given a comforter. The, the mission wouldn't make sense without the presence with us. So while sensing his presence may begin here, where there's little distraction or in that, in that moment of silence at home or in your car, its intention is to move you to bring the kingdom wherever you go throughout that day. How many of you guys have ever felt like God is distant? It's like, you can be brave. I, it's me. I felt like God is distant. It's like, where are you? I don't, I don't know where you are right now. Um, like his presence is just like nothing but far away. It's like, dude, you're talking about presence, but I haven't sensed him in years. I had this thought the other night. There may be times where you feel like the presence of God is not close to you. It's not to say that he has left you, but he's on the move, and he's looking for a people who stay in step with his spirit. I'm not saying it could be an obedience issue. Like, where did you, one of the things that we say is, you know, if you don't have peace, where did you leave it? Because probably there was a decision at that moment where you either agreed with the enemy and partnered with fear or anxiety, or you, God was moving you into something scary, and you said, nope, I've been there. So it could be an obedience issue, or, or it could just be an attention issue. I was talking with a couple of guys uh, last week who are single, and uh, we were talking about like staying in step with the spirit. And I said, you know, if there was a, an attractive gal with you that you were on a walk with, and you were interested in, you would try to stay in step with her, right? You would try to keep up with her, slow down when she slows down. You would try to stay there because you're interested in the relationship over interested in the destination that you're going. So I I think this is big for a church. We're never asked by scripture to try to conjure up the spirit through emotion. Like, the, the scripture never says, when you come to church, get hyped. (laughs) I just read this book and it was describing this revival and it said, it was a smokeless revival. It was all fire, no smoke. (laughs) I'm like, I want that. No hype, just the real thing. We're never asked even through scripture to get the spirit through a prayer. The, 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 the commands of scripture are, the, are these two commands around the Holy Spirit. The first is this, do not quench the spirit, which assumes that you have it already to quench, and to stay in step with the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. In other words, how do you quench the spirit, by the way? How do you do that? You quench the spirit by believing that you control the spirit, and you're the one who doesn't submit to the spirit. You're the one who makes the decisions. You've quenched out of your life the obedience that could have come (laughs) through surrender. And then it says to stay in step with the Spirit, to keep going where he's going. Um, There was another gentleman who came into the brewery the other night, and uh, he um, was just describing to me this chronic illness that he has. Uh, just incredible levels of pain. He aches all over, and he's seen all kinds of doctors, and there was just a real pain, a real frustration around um, the issues that are going on in his body. And um, he just kept talking about it. And there's all these people like kind of sitting around. I'm just like, okay, get out of here. I want to pray for this guy, but I don't like, you know, I don't, don't want to seem too weird. Like, is that Brewer praying for somebody? Um, 
So, but anyway, so people leave, and I'm just like, I believe that God can heal you. There's just in a moment, it's not always like this, but in that moment, I had faith for it. I said, I believe that God can heal you. Can I pray for you? And he's like, yes, actually, you totally can. And he was really uh, receptive of it. So I prayed for him, and there was a couple, he, he felt pain decrease, and I'd asked him before, you know, what level of pain are you at, and, and all that stuff. And he, um, and I don't, I don't think it was completely anything, but, but it, was, it was something. And I just, after that moment, I just felt on fire for the Lord. I was like, anybody else sick? No, nobody else is in this, you know, brewery. So, okay. Um, but I just felt on fire. I just was, I left it. I was just praising God. Why? Because nothing is more exhilarating than staying in step with the presence of God. His intention is to take what happens in here, out there. That's where the life is. It's the energy of the presence of God. It's in the kingdom action. So you're like, I haven't sensed the presence of God. Well, have you been doing what he's doing? I don't hear from God. Well, have you been like soaking up what he's already said? Because he sounds like this. Here's the invitation. Do you want his fruit? Well, oftentimes I, I have conversations around like apologetics and like how do you believe, how do you tr- you know prove that God is true? And I just go a lot of times I'm like look at the fruit of those who are disciples of Jesus. Do you want that fruit? If so, give your yes to Him. What's the difference between belief and choosing to believe? <laughs> There's no difference. It's me making a choice that regardless of what circumstances come my way around me, I will make a choice to take you at your word and see what happens. There's a time in my life where I um, had spent so much time trying to, I spent, have, you guys have probably heard of the historical Jesus studies and, and trying to see, like, is the New Testament reliable, all that stuff. And I just spent just so much time studying all of the arguments. I had this neighbor in our apartment building whose dad was like an ex-pastor and he like, no, Jesus never existed. You know, all this stuff. And I was like, at some point, I just got to this place where I was like, either you take him at your word or you spend the rest of your life being God and putting a microscope up to the life of Jesus. What will it be? And the question for me was, what kind of fruit do I want? The fruit of my skepticism is leading me to constantly be not content, to constantly live in a level of anxiety, to constantly have to try to go get mine and make what I want to happen, happen. But I remember, Lord, my first love. I remember those times where I gave my full yes to you. And what happened because of that full yes? It was peace. It was joy. It was the fruit of the Spirit because I had yielded to the Spirit. For some of you, there's just, you just need to give him that yes again. <laughs> Just need to say, like, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to just, I'm going to spend, like, if the rest of the Bible's hard for you, that's okay. Spend some time in the Gospels. Read about the life of Jesus and just say, do I want that fruit? I want that fruit. You were made for that fruit. What I want to do um, is just biblically show you what happens when you host his presence every day. The first thing is this. You get revelation. You get revelation. Next slide. John 15 says this. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Okay, so here's the dynamic. You can serve God. (laughs) How do I say this? You can serve God, and that's one level of discipleship, or you can be friends with God, and that's a whole other level of discipleship. 
It's not to say that you aren't still serving him, but it is to say that you have not primarily owned the slave identity and you've stepped into the son, the daughter, the friend identity. And what is the result? It's revelation. So get this. We have, because of Jesus, access to the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Think about that. Everything that God has made known to me, I'm making it known to you. That's what Jesus says. In other words, because you're friends, relationship becomes the context of me speaking to you. He tells, in, uh, it's in Psalm chapter 25, it says that he tells his friends his secrets. Secrets are for those who fear God. What this tells us is that friendship reveals God's mind. Host him and think like him. Host him. What are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in that moment? And you'll start thinking like him. While the world struggles to come up with solutions based on natural law and the accumulated human wisdom down through the ages, we have access to the manifold wisdom of God. <laughs> How's that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verse 16 says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, who has the mind of God to know what God thinks? Oh yeah, thanks Paul, you have the mind of Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ. There's a, a gentleman in our church, Samuel Gruel, um, who, he's not here tonight, he's interning with a winery because crush is happening, so we just bless him in Jesus' name and what he's doing. But um, I, I, just, I just heard that this last week he's been working with um, one of the engineering professors at Fox. And what they're doing is Samuel just went to this professor and he said, what if God could give us heavenly inspired designs to build things with? What if God could speak to us because we have the mind of Christ so that we solve design issues with heavenly solutions? And so he's working with this team of students to design different things by asking God, what would you do in this situation? What is that? That's a son who knows that his job is to host the presence of God in everything. Secondly, presence gives you direction and destiny. How many of you guys have ever wondered what you're supposed to do with your life? Anybody? All the Fox students, raise your hands. Cue. Um, ever been confused about like, where you're supposed to go? Jesus says this in uh, John chapter 12. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. In other words, whoever walks in darkness, they won't know what their destiny is. When you don't host his presence, when you host other things in your life or you, or you ignore his presence, you're going to get confused about where you're going. But when you make it your aim to host his presence, to say, I'm making every decision based on his presence, guess what? Decision by decision, peace, when his peace comes on that, then you go that direction. His peace comes on this, then you go that direction. When, the, when you do that, that presence-based lifestyle, what you're setting yourself up, to, up for is an unlocking of your God-given destiny. It's how we make decisions. One of the most um, formative times of my life was when I lived in uh, Bolivia. I had a semester abroad in Bolivia, and uh, it, was, it was an incredible time. It was a lonely time. It was a time where I was really pushed to go uh, after God's presence every single day. And uh, 
I remember just, like, I was, I was, what was I? I was 19 years old, and I remember just thinking, like, God, whatever you have for me, like, I want that. And I remember I would just pray it every day. Whatever you have for me, I want that. Whatever you have for me, I want that. And I was like, a little help would be, you know, like, what do you have for me? Come on, come on. Um, but I remember I just made a decision, like, I will not, I will not violate this presence relationship in order to go get what I think I need. I'm going to remain in relationship because I trust that what you have for me is better than what I could cook up on my own. And what ended up happening is that he could see the destiny, he could see where he was taking me, um, and it was my yes to be presence-led every day that unveiled what he had made me to do. See, there's there's a difference between a season of waiting where you're doing something that you just don't enjoy that much, but God's peace is on it, There's a difference between that season and a season of going after something and just never having God's peace on it. One has his, his, is where his presence is. It's like, it's uncomfortable, but this is where his presence is. The other doesn't have his peace or presence on it at all. And as we're, this is especially for those of you who are younger, as we're figuring out where we're going in life, we have to have just this, this burned on our hearts It's from the Psalms, seek peace and pursue it. Where do I sense God's peace? I'm gonna go in that direction, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if that seems like the most peaceless place I could go, I'm gonna go there. Next, Um, what else happens in his presence? Healing, Luke 5, 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Was it not present in other places? By this passage, maybe so. What does this mean? It means there are times and places where God's presence is what carries the power for healing. So let me ask you this. Is praying for healing difficult? Is it difficult to heal people? No, it's only difficult if you're the one who's doing the healing. It's the power of God present to do the healing. So it's the opposite of hype. We don't need to get all hyped up and pray our best prayer. I was, I was hanging out with um, some buddies of mine the other day, and uh, one of them was having some really bad stomach pain. And they go, hey, you like believe in healing, right? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, can you pray for his stomach? So I'm like, in Jesus' name, be healed. And that was it. And they're like, a little more would be better. Like, that's your best prayer? I'm like, oh, see, you don't understand. The healing's not dependent upon my ability to pray a good prayer. It's dependent on my ability to believe that he can do it. Okay, so it's him that actually does the healing. The king never forgets his kingdom. He brings it with him everywhere. So when his presence comes, guess what happens? Heaven breaks out. Lastly, refinement. Refinement happens in his presence. Malachi 3.2, but who can endure the day of his coming? the day of his presence. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or like a launderer's soap. I'll tell you who can stand when he comes. It's those who have lived in his fiery presence all their lives. It's those who are used to it. In his presence, all the right things grow, all the wrong things die. There are many times where I'm standing over here in worship and I am deeply convicted of something in my life that I need to change. Ever been there? Ever been in worship here and it's like, ooh, I need to text that person. Oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing. And what happens is that when we, when we choose to step into his presence to get refined, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm not gonna do the, the behavior modification thing, Lord. I'm not gonna get sweaty. 
What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna allow you to bring to the surface what you're ready to prune in my life while you have grace for the 99 other things that are wrong in my life, because I trust you. How many of you guys understand that? He has grace for like the 100 things that could be wrong in your life while he just highlights one so that he can prune that thing. And when he highlights, highlights that thing, it's because there's grace for that thing to get removed out of your life. So it's in his presence that we get refined. It's in his presence that just when you get in that worship setting or you get in that moment, you just say, God, what are you doing? It's him coming and, pr- and pruning us, refining us. So what's our discipleship strategy at Saints Hill? It's his presence. It's like, oh, you're struggling with your roommate? Yeah, you, just, you need to stay right there. We're asking the presence of God to come and just sit there until you're okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, you had a bad day? Oh, it's time to get into his presence. One of the things that Jake and I talk a lot about is that it's, our, it's your, as a, as a follower of Jesus, your primary responsibility to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's not my primary responsibility to strengthen you in the Lord. It is your primary responsibility to take the authority you have as being a son or a daughter of Christ and to say, God, I need to hear about this issue. Can you come meet me? It's really that simple. Our attempts to make discipleship complex reveal that we would prefer the control that comes with human involvement over the surrender needed for his presence to be primary. You didn't get it. Our attempts to make discipleship complex reveal that we would prefer the control that comes with human involvement over the surrender needed for his presence to be primary. A God who comes close may ask for everything, and that is the risk of a presence-based life. So what stands between you and, and where you're at today and the destiny of fruit that God has for you is a simple yes to his presence in your life. Giving him that yes to his presence. The scriptures are um, full of examples of people with sin issues like David, lack of faith like Abraham, cowardly behavior like Moses, denial like Peter. But they all have this in common. They said yes to relationship with God and healing, deliverance, freedom, revival was the result. So why not you? It's just a yes. Why not you? Why not now? Our thoughts of disqualification for whatever issue comes to mind are more of a trust in our past ability to keep hold of us than God's ability to redeem and use us. Do you have more faith in your past to hold you, or do you have more faith in his ability to redeem it and use you? That's a good word. (laughs) living a life of presence is choosing to believe that his ability and his leading are greater than your personal gifting or failures. Which is why God so often uses people who are without great gifting. He's more interested in your ability to depend than your ability. (laughs) He's more interested in your ability to depend than your ability. I want to end with a little inspiration from church history. Uh, this is a photo of Mariah Chapel in uh, Wales. Really cool old building. This is where the Welsh revival took place in uh, 1904 and 1905. And through a number of powerful uh, meetings there, the Holy Spirit began to move all throughout Wales. So powerfully so that over 100,000 people traced their new birth in Christ back to this little church. At the center of it were young people. A quote from uh, a book about this revival says this. In a Sunday morning prayer meeting for young people, Pastor Jenkins asked for testimonies of spiritual experiences. Several tried to speak on other subjects, but the pastor stopped them. How'd you like that? It's like, you want to test? Does anybody have a testimony? You do? Nah, I don't really like that one. Uh, Let's go over here. 
At last, a young girl named Flory Evans, who had been gloriously converted just a few days before, stood and with trembling voice said, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. It was with these simple words that many believe the Welsh revival began, just that declaration. There was a stirring in the church after what she said. Soon a young man named Evan Roberts emerged as the leader. Here's a photo of Evan uh, Roberts. Now, um, he wasn't who you would expect to lead a great international move of God. He'd worked uh, in the coal mines since he was nine years old. Uh, Later in life, he learned the trade of being a blacksmith. He wanted to preach, but coal mining wasn't really setting him up for it, so he ended up going to school on his own dime. For 13 years, he made this dedication that he wanted a deeper relationship with God, desiring to be visited by the Holy Spirit. 13 years, he said, nothing more than deeper with you, visited by your spirit. At the age of 26, Roberts and his friends began to hold youth meetings, and Evan began to preach three different things. No compromise with sin, forgive one another completely, and obey the Holy Spirit. We're not gonna compromise with sin, we're gonna forgive one another completely, and we're gonna obey the Holy Spirit. So powerful. Initially, only a few kids from the church would come to his meeting and he felt discouraged like he'd been a failure, but he concluded this. This is a quote. I would rather be the biggest fool in Wales than miss a potential move of God. I think that heart is being cultivated here. The result of his courage was huge. People started coming to the meetings where Roberts was known to just sit and wait until and only when the Spirit gave him something to say. Sometimes there's stories uh, in this book that I read about him sitting for hours at a time, like three hours, like you guys would show up, I would sit here for three hours saying nothing, just waiting. Is that what you want to say? No, okay. What do you want? And then he would start. Oftentimes, uh, things didn't happen until after midnight. As a result, Uh, Of this presence-based ministry, the presence of God became famous in the town. I just want to read a little section of uh, this book and just an account of this. Almost everyone in attendance at uh, at the meeting on Monday night, November 7th, was moved to tears. Many cried in agony. By midnight, the presence of the Lord was so intense that it could hardly be contained. The people had never experienced such deep repentance or such a deep joy. Those crying in remorse for their sins could not be distinguished from those crying in ecstasy at the nearness of God. It was after 3 a.m. before an attempt to close the meeting was possible. May it happen here, Lord. One night, so great was the enthusiasm invoked by the young revivalist that after his sermon, which lasted two hours, (laughs) it's like, I think it's 45 minutes. Um, Two hours, the vast congregation remained praying and singing until 2.30 in the morning. Shopkeepers are closing early in order to get a place in the chapel, and tin and steel workers throng the place in their working clothes. On November 11th, Mariah was teeming with more than 800 people who were trying to squeeze into the little chapel. A young girl in her early teens seemed to capture the feeling when she cried out, Oh, What will heaven be like if it is so wonderful down here? See, what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. And when people encounter God's presence, they're filled with what they were made for. Love, joy, peace, knowing their maker. He knows me. On earth as it is in heaven. That's our cry. That's our vision. 
And this must be the aim of everyone who calls themselves a disciple, to host the presence of God in such a way so that when people meet you, they meet him. Now, it could be easy to say, oh, wouldn't that be nice? You know, that's amazing. Yeah, that was them. But what I want to stoke in you this evening is what is the difference between you and them? Here's what a biographer said about uh, Evan Roberts. If the Holy Spirit didn't show up, Evan had nothing to fall back on. He did not have a program he could resort to or leftover sermons he could warm up. As one famous evangelist said, if the Lord completely departed from many churches, they would not ever realize it. But for those who have tasted his presence can never again be satisfied with mere programs. They must have the Lord. Next slide. There has never been a religious movement so little indebted to the guiding minds of its leaders. (laughs) Why not you? Why not here? It wasn't Robert's was so talented, and so all this happened. He's just a 26-year-old guy who loved the presence of God. It was that a group of people said, we will have nothing less than God with us. And they saw their nation changed because of it. So, so here's the deal. You have one life. What are you gonna do with it? I just doubt that anybody gets to the end of their life and thinks, you know, I wish I spent more time distracted with Netflix. Or on their deathbed, I just wish I had lived more according to the opinions of culture and of others. Saints Hill, we are people who go where he goes. We're people who host him. Let's risk. I think we're going to see renewal happen in this place. I think we're going to see revival come that sparks a revival across the rest of the United States. I can't wait to see what happens. So we will take hold, God, of the privilege of hosting your presence here at Newburgh. Let's stand together.